Let's open our Bibles to John 10, verses 1 through 10, page 1065 of your pew Bibles. John 10, verses 1 through 10. Today we consider how Jesus is the gate to the sheepfold. And of Jesus' seven I am statements, this is probably the least well-known. It's occasionally something that we'll do at our evening worship services where um, I'll ask the congregation, even during prayer, to offer up praise to God, uh, saying, God, you are uh, the vine and we are the branches. You are the life. You are our protector. And it's, it's very seldom that we'll hear during that time, oh Jesus, you are the gate to the sheepfold. But this is a description of Jesus that we need to spend some time considering. It's certainly an important name of Christ and identity that he has. And so um, often what happens in John chapter 10 is um, there's another I am statement that follows right after this where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and that title of Jesus gets more of the attention than the first title that he gives himself that will we'll sort of settle on this one today and then next Sunday think about how Jesus is the good shepherd. So this is a, a word picture that Jesus likes to use and really we find all throughout the scriptures that we are like sheep and he is a shepherd. The Lord is a shepherd. Of course, we know that the people that Jesus came to minister to and save are so much like sheep. And... Um, We'll find again today in this passage, it is good that we have a good shepherd. And so, let's not move past this I am statement too quickly. I think that when we read um, this first part of John 10, we'll gain great comfort from it and we'll find amazing truth in it as well. Having already prayed for illumination of our understanding of this passage, let's look at our text, John 10, starting at verse 1. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the first century, and even still today, A shepherd in the Middle East was literally a door for his flock of sheep. And I mean that literally he would be a door in 
his sheepfold. That's because the safest place for a sheep when there was a storm or when it was dark at night or when there was a threat nearby, the safest place for a sheep was in a large pen surrounded by stone walls. You see there an example of a Middle Eastern sheep pen. So instead of building a door out of wood, or instead of requiring the shepherd to construct a door every night or during every storm or whenever there was a wolf nearby by finding heavy stones to plug up that hole, that gap in the wall, the shepherd himself would stand there, would stand in that that doorway to the sheepfold. At night, the shepherd would lay down in that gap, or he would prop himself up and maybe uh, lean up against the side of the wall a little bit like we do on airplanes, trying to get comfortable to find some rest. And the shepherd would have done that in the doorway to his sheepfold. And that way, no sheep could escape at night and no dangerous animal or thief or robber could come in through the doorway. The shepherd would decide when it was time for the sheep to leave the pen. The shepherd would decide when it was time to depart from the sheepfold, to go out into the pasture and feed. And when it was time to return for the good of the sheep, the shepherd would lead them back to the sheepfold and then when they were all safely in, would lay down or sit in the doorway. He literally would be a door to the sheepfold. So keep this image in your minds throughout my message this morning. Keep this image in your minds whenever you read this passage in the future, that, that there was this gap that was obviously the weak point in the wall, and at that, that gap, the shepherd would keep vigil over the sheep and over what was happening outside the sheepfold as well. Keep this image in your minds as we learn today why Jesus would refer to himself as the door. In Jesus' teaching, the sheep are people who are relying on God for everything. The sheep are those people who recognize their humility before God, who recognize their need for Christ. The sheep in in this passage are people who are coming to listen to Jesus' teaching. They're the disciples. They're those who are poor, who are sick, who are hungry, who need to be fed by Christ. The sheep are those people who are seeking him. And this has just happened in the passage right before what we've read. In John chapter 9, Jesus has just healed a man who was blind from birth. And just to to tell you the the setting for why why Jesus would say uh, these things about the sheep pen, you need to know a little bit about that story that has just occurred. So there was a man who was often begging for money near the entrance of the temple. The man was blind. He had been blind his whole life. He was well known as somebody who would be a beggar outside the temple. And so Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees protested this healing because they didn't think that Jesus should have been caring for that man in that way on that particular day. And so Jesus, like a good shepherd, cares for this man who needs help and heals him miraculously. And the, the Pharisees do not approve. They are those thieves and robbers who, who don't understand what it really is to care for a person. They're so focused on the law that they can't even see that this, how wonderful it is that this man has been restored. 
So with that story as the background for our text today, we can easily see then who the sheep and who the thieves and robbers are. The sheep are those people who are utterly helpless without the Lord. That's all of us. We are like that man, a blind beggar. By faith, restored to Christ. He gives us sight. He gives us life. So all of us, like that man, are, are utterly helpless without the Lord. Sheep need a shepherd all the time to show us where to eat, to show us where to sleep, to protect us, to tell us when to flee from danger, to guide us in the right way. There is a reason Psalm 23 is one of the most popular passages in all the scriptures. It's because it resonates with all of our needs, doesn't it? And points us to how the Lord is our shepherd. So therefore, what's the next part? We shall not want. We shall not live in want. We have all that we need abundantly from him. And so, when Jesus said, I am the door to the sheepfold, he's addressing two problems, two struggles among his first century listeners, and they're the same problems that we have today. Problem number one in our passage that he's addressing is that some will try to enter without going through the door. And so some will try to get into a community of God without entering through the doorway that is Christ. As, as you see there, problem number one, as I summarized it, you might wonder, well, what are they trying to enter into? It's a good question for us to ask. Some will try to enter the kingdom of God without, um, without seeking Christ. Some will try to enter the church for all kinds of other reasons besides their seeking of Christ. Some will try to enter into heaven someday, thinking that they've done some good things and, and thinking, I think I've maybe earned my way in. Some will try to enter without going through the door. Jesus kinds of, he, he leaves it open, I think, to interpretation in terms of what people are trying to enter. I think it could be all three of those things. Some will try to enter the kingdom of God without going through Christ. They, they will not enter. Some will try to enter the church but they won't truly be members, spiritual members of the church unless they enter through Christ. Some will try to enter heaven someday. And you can't get there. You can't enter without Christ. So in the first verse that we read, Jesus said that there would be thieves and robbers who try to climb in by another way. That's how Jesus put it. They try to climb in over the wall. There are thieves and robbers among the sheep. And that's one of the first things we need to recognize as we hear Jesus presenting this problem. There are thieves and robbers among the sheep. Those thieves and robbers call out to the sheep, attempting to pull them away from the shepherd, attempting to steal them from the flock. And this is a serious matter. It's a matter of life and death. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. To steal and kill and destroy. And so it's not just a matter of, wow, maybe we should um, be a little bit careful sometimes of the teaching that we listen to. No, this is a matter of life and death. To steal and kill and destroy. That is the mission of the thief and the robber. He isn't there for the life of the sheep. The thief or the robber is there to exploit 
the sheep. The Pharisees do not care about the blind beggar. They do not care about those needy people who are coming to seek Jesus. And so you would wonder, well, why do they want access to this community then? If they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, why would somebody today or in the first century seek to enter into Christian community, including those thieves and robbers? Well, uh, the answer is, is actually fairly simple. Many people can see that there are benefits to the Christian life, and there are. There are great benefits to the Christian life. But beware of any teacher or any idea that wants the benefits of the Christian life without Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. Um, Those people would try to enter into the sheepfold to receive those benefits, the benefit of peace, benefit of community and real fellowship, the benefit of hope, the benefit of understanding morality and an ethical way to live. People would enter into the sheepfold seeking those kinds of benefits and all the while being thieves and robbers because they didn't enter through the one doorway, the one through whom we access all those benefits, that's Christ. So Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. Many people will strive for the benefits of Christianity without coming to him. Don't you do this sometimes? I know that I do this sometimes. We need, a, we need to have a good day. We wake up and think something's happening today that is important. I, I hope I have a good day. And instead of going first to Christ saying, you are the door to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, we would say, I just need to focus on getting myself right and, and being prepared and there's a, certainly a time and a place for that, which is good, but, but coming first to Jesus as the door into every good thing is where we go. Or you would think, I need peace. I need guidance in parenting. I need some sense of purpose. And rather than going through the doorway that is Christ, we would think maybe I could just hop over the wall into receiving those benefits and blessings. So, one of the questions this passage poses for us today is, do you go first to Jesus, repenting of your sin, trusting in him, or do you try to access those blessings of Christian community by climbing in another way? So, I don't believe that falling into that sin makes you a thief or a robber, but when the sheep lose sight of the shepherd, we will be vulnerable to the false promises of those thieves and robbers. So getting tripped up occasionally does not automatically make you a devious thief or robber trying to ruin the church or subvert the work of the kingdom of God. But if that is your temptation, then you will be susceptible to the teaching, the ideas, the errors of the true false prophets, false teachers, thieves, and robbers. So, what is our defense against the thieves and robbers? What is our defense? Again, it's a matter of life and death. They come to steal and kill and destroy. What is our first defense? It's that Christ is at the door. That Jesus is the one who is at the door, keeping the threat away. He is an active shepherd. 
That is so clear in the Old and New Testaments. The teaching of the Bible is that God seeks out the strays, seeks out his sheep, actively tends the sheep in a way that is always best for us. The Old Testament has this description of God as being a jealous God. And that word um, is often misunderstood, I think, by English-speaking people in the 21st century. When God is called a jealous God, it doesn't mean that he's jealous of what some people have and he lacks something and he won't be happy until he gets it. God lacks nothing. (laughs) So his jealousy for his people is not because he lacks something from us. Saying God is a jealous God means he is active in protecting our hearts so that we would love nothing else more than him because that's what's best for us. So, He knows that he's the only one who can satisfy what we need in our need for grace, our need for forgiveness, our need for life. And so God is is jealous for our hearts, our, our highest love, our attention. He is, um, he delights when we give him glory. He's jealous for those things to be occurring in our lives. So when there's a threat to our faith, God is like a shepherd who will remove that threat from your life. Imagine you're one of those vulnerable sheep in the pen and there is a wolf or a robber nearby. The closer you are to the shepherd, the safer you will be. The shepherd is, it's even better than the walls themselves. And so the closer you are to the shepherd, the safer you will be when there is a threat to your faith nearby. When there is a wolf or a storm or a thief or a robber. Jesus didn't just die on the cross to save us from hell. He is at the gate of your heart, protecting you like a shepherd. Jesus didn't just die on the cross so that you could go to heaven someday. He's at the gate of your home so that you might have an abundant life and that the thieves and the robbers who come to steal and kill and destroy would be kept away. Jesus is at the gate of this church, protecting us from anything that would threaten our faith, protecting us from impure, false doctrines, protecting us from um, hatred and bitterness and disunity. So, So Christ certainly came to deliver us from the dominion of darkness and and into the kingdom of his wonderful light, that's the Bible, that's what it teaches, that we would go to heaven to be with God forever. But he came also to protect us in this life from being um, pulled away, pulled away from the truth by false teaching. So, we have Christ at the door protecting us from the thieves and robbers. Secondly, we have within us a desire to hear the shepherd's voice. And so there's that external protection that we have of of Christ at the door, but then there's also the Spirit working within us to give us a desire to hear the shepherd's voice. One author, as I was reading this week in my preparation, told of his experience while visiting Jerusalem a few years ago. Jerusalem is, as you might guess, a bustling city, a very busy place, certainly lots of tourists and Lots of commerce happening in that great city. So like other cities, you'll find traffic in Jerusalem. You'll find congestion, especially in certain busy areas of the town. 
And there are still some things that are done in an old-fashioned way in Jerusalem. And one of those things is that there are actually still shepherds in Jerusalem who tend their flocks having to navigate through the streets of that city. There are some shepherds in Jerusalem who, um, who need to get their, their sheep through the city at times. So being a shepherd is hard enough, but imagine being a shepherd trying to get through the intersection of Wilma and Main Street, right, <laughs> with, uh, with 30 sheep. Um, that's happening even still today in, in many Middle Eastern cities, including Jerusalem. And so the author said that what he saw was, was beautiful and profound and, and an illustration of the truth of this passage. The shepherd would call out to his sheep, and they knew his voice, even despite all the commotion, despite the honking horns, despite all that was happening around them, the sheep were listening for the shepherd's voice so that they knew where to go. Imagine um, seeing this, this shepherd soothing his sheep with his voice. They're listening for him. They're following him. The sheep heard the shepherd's voice above the car engines, above the commotion of the city. They listened and they followed and they were safe. So are you listening attentively, actively for the shepherd's voice? Are you listening today for Jesus' voice? Are you able to discern what is the voice of God, what is the voice of Christ, what is the word of God, and what is the voice of a thief or a robber? Jesus said, repent. The world today, the thief or the robber will say, you don't have to change. You need to be yourself. But Jesus says, repent. Repent of your sin. Turn to him for life. Jesus says the next thing after that in the Gospel of Mark, he says, repent and believe the good news. The good news of salvation in him. The good news that he's king over the heavens and the earth. Believe the good news. What what does the thief and the robber say today? Fills our minds with bad news so that you'll be afraid. The voice of the thief and the robber is bad news, bad news, bad news. The world's falling apart. You can't do anything about it. You need to be afraid. Listen for the voice of the good shepherd. Believe the good news. Certainly some of that bad news has truth in it, but but are you filling your mind with the good news of the gospel or with all of the bad news and the worries of this world? Jesus says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor, no matter who it is. Love them. But the world says, uh, figure out who your neighbor, which tribe they belong to, And you don't have to love them all that much if they're that other political party or if they do this other, have this other kind of lifestyle or if they made a mistake in their past. And and the world says, you need to figure out what kind of person that is before you can love them. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, there's no life apart from him. We'll consider that as we think about other passages where Jesus makes I am statements. He says there is no life apart from him. The thief and the robber of this world will say there are many paths to truth. There are many paths to heaven. There's all kinds of different ways of understanding God that are okay for people to live out in their own special, unique kinds of ways. Jesus says, no, there is no life apart 
from him. If you know the voice of the good shepherd, when you hear the temptation towards uh, what is called uh, pluralism, just this idea that anything uh, goes, will sound like the error that it really is. Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, build your life on the firm foundation of his teaching so that you'll be safe in a storm. Each one of those are truths and teachings that the true sheep will love to hear from the word of God. Each of those has a counterpart in our world. But brothers and sisters, when you're seeking Christ, when you're reading the word, you'll be able to distinguish, like those sheep in the busy city of Jerusalem, what is the voice of the shepherd and what is danger. One example, a a precise example of this, a doctrine that's gaining a lot of traction among Christians today. And it is to give special emphasis to the words of Jesus. These are people who are called red-letter Christians. They give special attention to those passages in the Bible that are the quotations of, of Jesus and what he said. And so people do this often at the expense of the teaching of the rest of the Bible. So they, they would sort of pit the teaching of Jesus, the red letters, against other things that the Bible says. And, and it can even be a, a real thing of pride for a lot of people in churches today to say, I'm a red-letter Christian, I follow Jesus. That stuff from the Old Testament, that stuff the Apostle Paul said, that stuff in Revelation that's so serious, uh, that's, that's stuff that, that we could dismiss, but we're red-letter Christians But how did Jesus talk about the rest of the scriptures? If we know the voice of the good shepherd, we'll think about all of scripture in the way that Jesus did. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so this trend of red-letter Christianity is the voice of the thief and the robber. It's not the voice of Christ. The Word of God is Genesis to Revelation. Jesus loved the Old Testament Scriptures. He quoted constantly from the Old Testament. Jesus commissioned the Apostle Paul to preach and teach in his name. And so this is so often done when it comes to matters of ethics today, where people would say, we're going to go with Jesus and not with that Apostle Paul guy. Jesus commissioned the Apostle Paul to go and preach in his name. And so we go with Genesis to Revelation. It's the Word of God inspired by the Spirit. So the voice of of Jesus clearly points us to embrace all the Scriptures. There's no contradiction in the Bible It's all from the Word of God. He can't contradict himself. The voice of the shepherd will point us to the truth in all of Scripture. The best defense against the thieves and the robbers is is knowing what Jesus himself, um, uh, or or what what the Word of God itself says about itself, about what Jesus said also about the rest of the Scriptures. So, Jesus calls us to actively listen for his voice, to discern between his voice and that of the impostors who would seek to pull us away from him. So a first defense is Christ. The second defense is 
our desire for the shepherd's voice. And third and very quickly, a defense against the wolves and thieves is the church. Is that when we are living in the church, we'll have additional guards for us against spiritual dangers. Here's what the Apostle Paul told the elders of the Ephesian church before he departed from them. He said this, recorded in the book of Acts chapter 20. This is uh, instructions for church leaders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And so you might think, well, this is just for elders and deacons. No, this is for, for parents. You have a flock to care for. Grandparents, you have a flock under your care. This is for people who, who are shepherding a workplace, we could even say. You have a flock to, to take care of and tend to. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. Let's not be naive about that. That's happening even in the Christian Reformed Church. Fierce wolves, unbelievers, people who hate the Word of God, will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, Be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So this says, uh, be alert and aware that there are dangers in this world. I think sometimes Christians can be naive about the spiritual danger of false teaching. Of false teaching. And so that's our responsibility as pastors and elders, but it's also the responsibility of every believer to engage with the church so that you might be led in the way of Christ. So that's the first problem is that thieves will come in and be a threat to the sheep. The second problem that we find in this passage is is that maybe you today could be wondering if you could ever enter into the flock of God's care. Like, would you be welcome Are you so messed up that that you could never enter through the door? That when maybe you saw that image of of the sheep pen with its walls, that that you would think, I am on the outside, and I don't know if I could ever get onto the inside of, of that community, of that flock. The solution, of course, for that problem is that the shepherd at the door is Christ. The shepherd at the door is Christ, which means that you can enter if you come to him in humility and repentance. That's the only qualification. Humility and repentance to say, to come to the one who is at the door, Jesus, and say, may I enter? Yes. As we heard last week, all those who come to him, who are ordained by the Father to come to him for salvation, will, be, will enter in to the kingdom of God. So when Jesus saw people who came to hear him teach, what was his attitude towards them? If you're thinking, well, there's Jesus at the door of that gate, what does the scripture say was his attitude towards caring for people and and welcoming them in? We find actually what's going on in Jesus' mind in Matthew 9, verse 36, when he sees people who are wandering around like sheep and they're a real mess What's his attitude? When he saw the crowds, 
He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so there's Jesus at the gate with compassion. There's Jesus at the gate. You know, you're not a problem for God. You're not an annoying burden for Him to carry. God is love. God is love. God demonstrated His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the one who's at the gate. So even though you and I can be as stubborn and foolish as sheep, Jesus' attitude towards us is not one of disgust, but one of compassion. Come in. Come to me. Come into the flock. So he's the one at the door to the sheepfold. We could be so thankful. It's not Moses at the door with the law of God. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that it's Moses at the door to the gate of the sheepfold. And by Moses, he was a a good follower of the Lord, but with Moses we often attach the giving of the law. This is what the Pharisees thought was the gate to the sheepfold, was perfect obedience to the law so that you might be among the exclusive few who would enter into the sheepfold. But listen to what Paul said in Romans 8, verses 1 through 3. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. You're you're in. You're in the flock if you are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And so if the Ten Commandments were the door to the sheepfold, we would be hopeless. We would be outside looking in. But Jesus is at the door. The one who is our mediator. Our shepherd. The one with compassion. The one who gave up his own life so that we might enter in. Isn't that good news? So many times we can get caught in this trap of thinking, in order for me to enter into life in the church, real, the real abundant life, I've got to do this before I can go. But brothers and sisters, Jesus is the door. So go to him. Neither will we find Aristotle and Socrates at the door to the sheepfold. There's no philosophy test for entering into the kingdom of God. This isn't about understanding complex spiritual truths that again are only available to an exclusive select few. You enter through Jesus and through what he has accomplished for you at the cross. So, it's likely that we know that Jesus is the door. It's likely that we know this for ourselves. But I think we often act in a way that disregards that this is the truth for every person. And so this must be the ministry that we undertake as a congregation and as people that you're ministering to as well. It's likely that you know I must enter into a spiritual blessing through Christ, but then in your interactions with other people, you would think, maybe I can fix that person. (laughs) Maybe I can, can do this or that to convince them to live a more moral life or more productive life. 
instead of thinking the door for them is the same as the door for me. They must enter through the gate, through the door that is Christ, if they're going to have the abundant life that Jesus promised. So again, it's, it's likely we know this for ourselves, but often we minister in a way that disregards this truth is for other people as well. So, Thinking of the example, you have unmotivated children who are not living an abundant life. You have unmotivated grandkids or a niece and nephew who's just lost, not getting out of bed in the morning, not getting a job, not doing something with their life. The door for them is Christ to a life of abundance. Not just a a motivational speaker or a schedule change. The door to the abundant life is, is Christ for that unmotivated young person. Or you have, have coworkers who are lost and they say these utterly foolish things. They're, you know, you see them living in a life of misery. The thief, the robbers come to, to steal and kill and destroy their life and you can just see it unfolding. The door for them is Christ. And so to invite them into a life of Christ is the only answer for their foolishness and their misery. That could look like inviting them to church. I just saw a statistic yesterday that, that I, th- I think it's 80% of people who go to a church were invited by somebody that they know. Just a neighbor. And if you're seeing that person, that, that harassed and helpless sheep, and you have compassion in your heart for them, The next step then is to say, at least in your mind, certainly, maybe even to them as well, the door into the abundant life must be Jesus. So would you come to church with me and sit with me and you'll hear about life in Jesus' name. Or you're trying to kick that addiction to pornography or alcohol or drugs. Or you're trying to kick that addiction that you have to gossip and the way that it makes you feel just for that moment so good and and superior to another person, trying to kick that addiction to shopping whenever you have a a need in your heart and you think, oh, if I could just buy something really neat, that would fill this hole in my heart. You're trying to, to, to remove each of those thieves and robbers from your lives. The way to leave that life and to enter into the abundance of, of the Lord is Jesus. Now, there are practical things that you can do to get rid of those thieves and robbers. But first, the door is Christ. Just in closing, I want us to imagine looking for an abundant life. That's not very difficult to do, is it? Maybe you're going through your day and you're just feeling kind of down or unsatisfied or too busy or stuck in a sin and you know that temptation's going to come again. And you're just longing for this Lord, you promise an abundant life, life to the full. And you're longing for that life, knowing that it's right inside that place. And you want to go into that, that flock of God's care. And the one at the gate is Jesus. And so you would, you would come to that place, to that gate, imagine approaching that gate, wanting to enter into God's kingdom, and it's Jesus in the doorway. The Bible says he has compassion on those who are harassed and helpless. He forgives those who repent. He welcomes in to his kingdom all those who seek him, who seek him, who love him. But you have to enter the kingdom of God 
through him. So he is the door to the sheepfold. And when you enter through the one door, you will live the abundant life that he promised. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray.